0: You're listening to Food for the Future on 980 CFPL and 980 CFPL.ca. Here's your host, Peggy O'Neill.
1: I'm Peggy O'Neill, home economist and host of Food for the Future. Today, we're launching the monthly series, City Farming, in which we discuss home growing and the ways in which households can use their creativity to contribute to a flourishing food system right from their own windowsills, patios, and backyards. It's my pleasure to introduce Mike Levinston, Executive Director of City Farmer, an online story sharing and news site for home growers. Welcome, Mike. Welcome. Thank you for being here.
0: Thank you for asking me.
1: You're wonderful. Well, there's so many things I want to ask you in so little time, Mike. First of all, what do you do at City Farmer?
0: There's only two positions of employment, the, the executive director and the garden. So we have a garden of a half acre in the centre of Vancouver. It's a demonstration garden, composting. And I go there every day and talk with the gardens, talk with the public that come through. The other side of my life is administration and keeping the websites going. I have a news website, which is every day, stories about urban agriculture around the world which has been going since 1994 which is just about when the internet began it is read around the world and has a huge influence i'm very proud of it that is our global reach and our local reach is that real garden an organic food garden making compost people coming in every day so i get both sides that's local
1: What a wonderful contribution. So you're acting locally and thinking globally, and you're helping other people see both sides to the very interesting area that's really emerging as a new field that people are really starting to look into, which is city farming. And Mike, you've dedicated 43 years since 1978 to helping people grow food in the city. It's quite an accomplishment. Why do you think this topic is evergreen? In the 70s,
0: early 70s, uh, post-60s, Uh, environmentalism was a subject. It was a term that became a government department. Even though I don't think of myself and hadn't thought of myself as an environmentalist, that was what I was. At Trent University, uh, we worked on bikeways. We went and researched uh, the history of a portage in the woods. Anything to do with nature was great. So nature in the city was a big thing for me. When we worked on conservation in in Vancouver, two of us looked at the food system, we found that you could save energy by growing at home. So backyard food gardening became the topic of interest. We made up the terms city farmer at that time. Our main job is teaching people how to compost at home. But that is urban agriculture, because if you take waste in the city and turn it into soil, that's the backbone of growing food.
1: Definitely the topic is evergreen because people are interested in nature and how that plays a role in their lives in the city. And you've done an incredible job along with others trying to make sure that there's resources and information available to others. Mike, across your 43 years as a city farmer, what are some of the biggest changes you've seen? And what are some of the things that have stayed the same?
0: You know, long before I was even born, people were growing food in the city. Everybody did it. It's a normal thing. But every year, there's a different hat that the subject wears. Right now, it's COVID gardeners. They have nothing to do. They get out. And I have so many coming the last two years to learn to compost and garden. Then there was the eat local time, an eat local year. I mean, every year, there's a permaculture year. Uh, there's this year. There's that year. But it's all the same. And yet, urban agriculture, was is a newish term, you know, and city farmer, it was an oxymoron. None of the mainstream people liked it. The farmers probably didn't like it. But for us, it made growing food in the garden important. It, it, it took it as a serious subject. And for us, it was serious because it gave us as environmentalists a way to come into the regular household and say, well, you maybe you want interest in air pollution, maybe about what's going into the soil that's dangerous. Maybe there's a community aspect to this. And then we did a school garden and it went big. Then we did a community garden and it went big. We did a rooftop garden. So what we did is we brought many subjects that were already there in some form under an umbrella called urban agriculture. And today professors at Harvard are teaching urban agriculture. Prime ministers and countries are putting policy together for urban, I just read the story up this morning, I'm in Singapore, the Philippines. It becomes a national effort But it's all the same thing. It's about getting food plants near you into the ground and getting some food in your mouth. That's what I've covered. All the weird and wonderful, but it is all the same. Growing food in the city.
1: That's a wonderful contribution and what a range, not only across the world, but all walks of life. People that want to provide some of their own food supply and be a creator, not just a consumer. That's a wonderful purpose. And thank you for that clarity that we do see many interpretations of why we should city farm, but the basics are the same. One of the articles in city, on the City farmer site was written in 1982 by Elizabeth Goodley. It was called Making Farmers Out of City Folk. That's a really fun title about the importance of being a farmer. Mike, what do city farmers have in common with professional farmers? It's a simply between production and
0: consumption. And the similarity is farmers are producing massively for all of us. And we are little guys. We could be a little bigger. We could be a little smaller. But all we're saying is if there is a boundary around and you're called urban and you grow something, I make it simple. It's you're a city farmer.
1: That's fantastic. And part of the show is helping us find common ground and the way forward together. And I love the way that you unified farmers and city farmers in the common purpose. That's fantastic, Mike. Thank you. What are some of the biggest successes that city farmers experience?
0: You know, every day is fun. I think for me, having done it 43 years, to see it at the beginning as an alternative bunch of freaks putting together something called city farmer, urban agriculture and going out there and being weird and wonderful to seeing how it is part of mainstream using that term as it's every time I watch it, it fascinates me because I know where it came from and it didn't exist. Now like for us, it's backyard, it's amateur, it's home gardener, but suddenly it's sort of, and maybe in the nineties, it started to move in a bit commercial, uh, it started in Saskatchewan. A couple wanted to take a bunch of backyards, big ones, and, grow them and market that food. And then urban agriculture took on Lufa in Montreal, huge rooftop uh, hydroponics, rooftop vertical gardens. You see investors spending millions of dollars on a form of urban agriculture. The lights have changed in the greenhouses, so things are growing better, the structures are becoming lighter, they're getting a market. So I guess the biggest change is to see how big this has got.
1: I hadn't realized myself, uh, Mike, I have to admit, I was probably in the category thinking it's people growing some of their own food in their backyard or uh, in their windowsill or on their patios. But what you've described really is a major investment, not only financially, but in terms of creatively to put the scale of things on rooftops that you just described. And it makes me wonder, Canada's working towards its first food policy, is home growing and urban agriculture part of that strategy for the way forward? I'm not a good
0: policy person. I stay away from anything difficult. You know, I'm a grade seven kind of guy, (laughs) but I support policy that, uh, I just did this talk as a keynote speaker in Seoul, Korea. I was only, there were only two people. One was from Korea and one was from outside they've now put millions of dollars into urban agriculture in Seoul. And they had speakers from around the world that were very good. I, my topic was time for national policy in every country in the world to promote urban agriculture. And I was saying, you know, you're ahead South, South Korea, Philippines is ahead, Singapore is ahead, Malaysia is ahead. We, and I always when from where we began, I showed national policy in victory gardens in Canada. I showed national policy in the First World War in gardens, wartime gardens. So it's not unusual for our culture for a particular reason to support home gardening, urban agriculture. The reason that I gave we needed to do this again around the world is because of the horrors of COVID, the destruction of the economy, and mostly in many ways, the spirit of people has been so dampened And I know that growing food, being in the garden, being in nature, raises the spirit. was something I believed in, even though I won't be involved in the policy. It's time for them to take the work of individuals, what they can do, and bring it to that level. And it will naturally happen.
1: Yes, there's definitely a demand in that. I was speaking to a seed uh, merchant recently, and he had said that they can barely keep seeds on the shelf this year, that there are so many people wanting to buy at a household level and plant and grow some things, which I think is very encouraging because as you said, it is uplifting, but also that people can start to learn and appreciate what farming is. And if crops fail or if pests, um, set in something needs to be done and how do we figure that out and that how do we find commonalities in our purpose as opposed to only looking at differences and I really appreciate what you offered Mike and thank you very much. After the break we're going to hear more from Mike Levenston, Executive Director of City Farmer, who will share his expertise on home growing and the ways households can use their creativity to contribute to a flourishing food system from their own windowsills, patios or backyards. This is Food for the Future, and I'm your host, Peggy O'Neill, home economist.
0: Welcome back to Food for the Future on 980CFPL and 980CFPL.ca. Here's your host, Peggy O'Neill.
1: I'm Peggy O'Neill, home economist, and host of Food for the Future. The show today launches the monthly series City Farming, in which we discuss home growing and the ways households can use their ingenuity to contribute to a flourishing food system. We're speaking with our special guest, Michael Levenston, executive director of City Farmer, a story sharing and news site for home growers. Mike, home growing is a creative process from the design of the garden and where things are gonna be located all the way through to harvest and preserving what you've grown. Do you consider it a form of living art?
0: Uh, I don't use the term living art myself. But every day we talk to people. We just had a couple in yesterday. They've got a one acre in Surrey, BC. They've got three kids. And uh, I know Maria, our gardener was talking to them about what to plant, where to plant it. Uh, And everybody shares ideas on placement, what kind of container. And as you're saying, there's a huge amount of creativity that they have to organize things as they will when they've done the research. They're asking around and then they want to place things just so they wanna grow this fruit versus that fruit. So in terms of creativity, uh, there's a lot involved. You're individuals doing things.
1: Wonderful. There's a lot of ingenuity involved right from choosing the seeds and what's going to be beside each other. And as you said, there is a technique, all artists do have techniques that success will be directly related to the ability of your uh, background and what actually can be planted in the soil that you have available to you and the space you have available to you. So fantastic. Uh, Mike, can you give a few examples of some of the really creative ideas that you've seen from home growers, either where they choose to plant or ideas they've come up with to solve problems to keep critters out of their compost piles, anything that you've seen home growers do that are creative?
0: Um, You know, going back, I can talk about a number of things. But when we started the compost program for the government, we were asked to create it in the early 90s. Um, we wanted to take a tact that rodents, they were told us rodents were a problem in Vancouver, rats, uh, had to be somehow addressed. So I did a year of research, half a year, talked to every rat expert in the world, and we came up with this idea that you had to build them out. If you're gonna have, You can't just have a condo where they, you throw it in a pile and they come, the rats come in and eat on the top. So you had to have all six sides protecting your food waste, yard waste from a rat. We called it rodent resistant composting. I must've looked at a hundred different designs, a hundred different creations from people trying to create something new in the compost world that had been in all the books. That, I mean, as one example I've experienced shows a huge creativity in the gardening community with inventors and we still have about eight bins left that we still respect from the time. We have a beautiful stone composter that people think looks like an oven that is for bears out here bears come and they knock down composters you build this in three days if you're lucky and they're not going to get into it we have a woman whose father was an inventor he created a sheet metal bin all sides with screen at the bottom works one of the best and she's carried on from him and modified it every one of these bins is shows creativity of the best sort and i love those years when we did that
1: That's fantastic. So there's a whole set of problems that people are solving when they're city farming from composting through to harvest, and that there are generations of ways to solve the problems you had mentioned from family, uh, family ideas passing down around how to really achieve success with some of the tips and tricks for city farming. I think that it's wonderful that the whole family can participate in the creative process. And what are some of the things that families can expect to experience if they decide to together become city farmers?
0: We have so many kids, little kids, come in to our demo garden with nannies, fathers, mothers, the whole gang. So we get to enjoy the experience and watching them taste things. We have a huge organic garden. It's a half acre with all sorts of interesting things. What's interesting to me, if you get the two-year-olds, or three-year-olds boys or girls they go to immediately to a little bench where we have plastic duckies they're yellow plastic duckies with lips there's a mother that's that's the only plastic thing in the garden and they hang out with the plastic <laughs> so you will learn so much from that garden a woman came in sadly or she was elderly her sadly her husband died not very long before and she opened up the trunk of her car and she had these sort of stone gargoyle gnomes with very tormented faces. And she said, my husband's dead. I always hated these. Can you have them? So we took them out and Maria put them in different parts of her garden. And you should see those kids come and they bend down and they stare at the face and it's fascinating to them. That's a bit of art in the garden. We have a big piece of styrofoam that Maddie, one of our gardeners, read about that if you put meal bugs in with the styrofoam, they will eat and recycle the styrofoam, which is a very hard thing to do is to get. So we've had that in a bucket, much to some people's displeasure. You get kids come in and they look at it. They'll say, this is really icky. Don't like that. But they're fascinated and they
1: learn that's yeah. fantastic it's it's sort of like an education itself to have a city garden and also the community factors you talked about people sharing things and I know that there are sometimes seed swaps or plant swaps that there really is this social dimension to it and a very exciting and invigorating way to experience your community and i I just think that's a fantastic. Mike, there must be so many uplifting stories that you hear about the benefits and practice of growing food at home. Can you share some of those with us today?
0: You know, horticulture therapy, which is basically being in a garden and getting better, there's professions, you can go to school for years. It's very important because it works for me. Mm -hmm. I like to go to the garden. It's helped me. I don't want to be in business. I don't want to be inside. So in the nice weather, I'm out there yabbering with people, but the back area Our garden is therapeutic. So many people come in and that backyard its wild in the middle of the city. Oh, this is whimsical. This is that. So I like to see the effect that gardens have on people. And I'm saying your goal is to get back further into the garden, get the sunshine on you and enjoy the birds. So I think anything to do with health improvement, mood improvement from the garden is a huge story.
1: And what a, what a poetic experience watching the seasons change and sensual with all the sights of the garden. Certainly the touch of your hand in the soil or even your bare feet if you kick your shoes off while you're doing it. And it really sounds like something that we all should consider and look into as integrating into part of our lives to be part of the creative process of growing, but also to express our own ingenuity with the things that we decide we're going to grow and how we're going to grow it right up to the planter that it gets put in. Mike, are there any final comments that you'd like to leave our listeners with today?
0: I think the most important thing you can do is make the farmers who are farming for our food. Our food visible, real to the city people. When we go to a store, every one of those bottles and cans and piece of fruit is grown by a farmer, grown by someone. We don't know where they're all from, and we can't see them. It's important that we know where our food comes from and have a real connection to those people. If you can put faces and names to the farming and give it to the people in the city, most important.
1: Thank you very much. What a wonderful bridge to build, and you said it so well. Mike, our conversation today has left me smiling from ear to ear. at All the possibilities for city farming and creating a flourishing food system at home and beyond. It's been comforting and exciting to know there's an entire community of new and expert home growers across Canada. Thank you, Mike, sincerely for sharing your ideas and for your passion with us today. It's been wonderful, Peggy. Thank you. Lovely to meet you. And it's wonderful to meet you, too. Today on Food for the Future we've been speaking with Mike Levenston, Executive Director of City Farming, an online story sharing and news site for home growers. Each week we leave you with something to talk about and something to do. Something to talk about? The growing process. Have a look at the cycle of our food right from the soil all the way through to your plate and make discoveries about the food system. Something to do? Browse the City Farmer site, www.cityfarmer.info, for stories from inspiring home growers and for more information about how you can start your city farm. Next week on the show, we launch the monthly series Back to the Future, in which we discuss the renewed interest in traditional food preparation methods. Our guest is Sarah Booth, author and board member of the Culinary Historians of Canada. I'm your host, Peggy O'Neill, professional home economist, and you've been listening to the weekly show Food for the Future.
0: Thank you to our Platinum Level sponsors, Burn Bray Farms, Eggs for Life, and the Middlesex London Food Policy Council. Food for the Future with Peggy O'Neill. Airs every Saturday at 8.30 on 980 CFPL and 980 CFPL.ca.